You know, it is the, the season of the Winter Olympics, and I was processing and thinking about how much work goes into what these athletes do, how much they are committed to this. You know, I'm sure you're going to watch tons of backstories in the coming weeks of, of these athletes who, you know, whose parents were bringing them at four o'clock in the morning to the ice rink or, you know, going to do the bobsled or whatever. They overcame great adversity so they could be on this team and you know, if you think about all the work that they have to put into it, the time away from family, the, the not hanging out with friends, the not enjoying a normal rhythm of life, the, the physical strain, the mental strain, like why do they do that, right? Why do they put all this work into going through all these different trials and, and pains and struggles? And the answer is the payoff, right? There's a payoff of some sort, whether it's a, a sense of accomplishment or you know, uh, pleasing someone who's pushed them their whole lives or winning a medal of some sort. It's a, there's some sense of a payoff that makes going through all these trials and struggles worth it. Well, what I want to talk about today is a very famous verse and a sort of concept early on in the book of James about counting it as joy when we suffer, that there's this, that there's this payoff for the suffering if we endure it and persevere through it. And so I want to take time to dive into that today with you. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to James uh, chapter one. But as a reminder, uh, James is a letter written very early on, I believe, in church history uh, by the leader of the church. This is Jesus's half brother born to Joseph and Mary after Jesus was born. Uh, James is, like I said, a leader in the church. And he's he writes this letter that's I think there's 59 commands in 108 verses. I mean, he's just telling this church this is what it looks like to live in light of the fact that Jesus is Lord. And he's telling them exactly what they should be doing and how they should be living this out, right? And so this first section that we're going to dive into is when he really gets going about it. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn to James chapter one with me. We are going to read, uh, so about, I think it's 10 verses here, starting with verse two. It says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting for the doubter is like Uh, the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field for the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flowers fall off and its beautiful appearance perishes in the same way. The rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed or blessed or happy is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This church is going through this struggle of some sort, these trials of some sort. Most likely, I believe, from the rest of what we read in James, it's some sort of monetary struggle. Maybe there's like it's a really poor uh, group of people. Maybe this is the famine that hits Jerusalem that scatters the church eventually. Um, We don't know, but there's some kind of trial that they're going through. 
But, but bigger than that, James says, count it all joy when you experience trials of many kinds, trials of various kinds. He's talking about every kind of suffering that they go through, not just the, the one that maybe they were in right then. He's talking about big and small trials all the time. And he says, count it as joy. Like, count it as joy, meaning, meaning equate it. Do the math on this and come to the conclusion that it's somehow joyful to be going through these trials of various kinds. So here's what I want to talk about today. The idea that, that the payoff, the, 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 the reward for persevering through trials is knowing God and becoming more like Jesus. That the payoff for persevering, for enduring through trials is that is that you, 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 you know God better. You, you spend time with God and that somehow through this, you become more like Jesus. And friends, I'm, I'm so like passionate about this. I care so much about this because I, I've been learning this so much in my life over the last 10 years or so. And I want this so badly for you. I'm so upset that we can't be having like this dialogue in this room and talking about this together because man, it makes all the difference to realize that our life is full of suffering. And when you go through it with God and you become more like Christ, it's the full life. That this is the blessed life. This is the happy life is found in pursuing God in the midst of suffering. And that that suffering, that enduring through it actually produces a good life. And so I hope you will listen into this and get something out of it today. You know, James is trying to tell these people that the, the, the payoff for it, the reward for enduring suffering is being mature, is being solid, is being unwavering, not pushed around by the winds, by uh, the, the, like, a, like a wave out on the ocean. It's being, it's being rooted in the gospel and it's gaining the crown of life, which I think is a, a now and a not yet reward. It's something that will come someday when Jesus returns and makes a new heaven and earth. That there is this good payoff in our character and in our knowing God and becoming more like Jesus. But let me say right at the start here, what it does not mean. Suffering with joy does not mean just putting a smile on your face and acting cheerful and acting like, oh, everything's great, even though I'm going through this terrible circumstance. It does not mean not identifying things as bad. That would be foolish, right? That would be an injustice to look at something like, uh, you know, a terrible cancer that, that takes a husband away from his wife or a fire that wrecks a home and say, oh, that's good. Like, no, that, it's not, that's not what this means. That's not what is happening here. We can still call bad things bad and call good things good. Count it all joy is not meant to be grief counseling. When your friend is going through horrible trials, you don't want to come along like Job's friends and just be like, well, God's doing something good here. Like count it all joy. Like it's not meant to be that. There's something deeper happening within this. And I want to remind us that even Jesus wept. Even Jesus wept at Lazarus's tomb. He understands that Lazarus dying is bad. Even Jesus cried in the garden because he knew that going to the cross was bad right? It's not a good thing that he's looking forward to. So we're allowed to call bad things what they are. So think with me for just a couple of minutes about trials and suffering and, and struggles and things, right? Like, do you have trials? Do you have struggles in your life? Maybe it's a, a broken relationship. Maybe it's an unfair termination at your job or you didn't get the job that you deserved. 
Maybe there's a, a teacher that you can't stand, can't stand you, and it makes your school life miserable. Maybe you have a mean spouse. Maybe you have no spouse. I don't know. So these are like, you know, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you have cancer, or maybe you've been through that struggle, or maybe you've lost a loved one, right? And you know what it feels like to struggle. But in this idea of struggles of various or trials of various kinds, it's not always big things, right? That we struggle with. There's other things on a daily basis that we go through. Uh, like even our best days, our best days on vacation with no work, like you still stub your toe, right? There's still like even small things that happen that aren't fun, that aren't enjoyable, that aren't the way things are supposed to be. You know, you still have an aging body. I'm 43 years old now and I feel it, right? Like you can just start to feel yourself that you are aging and you are breaking down. You still have allergies or these afflictions in your body or, you know what I mean? Like, so this doesn't necessarily have to be big struggles. It could just be normal everyday stuff, but we all go through these things every day that we would count as trials of various kinds. And these things are self-inflicted because of bad decisions we've made, sins that we have chosen to enter into. They might be others inflicted on us because of selfishness or sin in someone else's life. They might just be naturally occurring that a tornado comes and wrecks our home or an earthquake happens or a fire, you know, like whatever. Like there's these things that happen in nature that are beyond our control that, that cause trials of various kinds, whether it's self, others, nature. It happens, right, that we go through these you know, these uh, sufferings, these, these struggles, these trials daily. And most of our lives, I would argue, we spend trying to avoid suffering, which is kind of a fool's errand, right? Like when we're just going to suffer again and again and again, and this body breaks down and we die. Sorry, it's kind of negative, but that's just the truth of the matter, right? And so in, in our lives, we spend trying to avoid suffering. We have James come along and say, count, as, count it all joy when you suffer, when you go through trials? Like, what is he driving at? In our culture, we have a tendency to count it all joy when I don't suffer. That's the good life, right? When we don't suffer. I want to introduce a concept that I want to refer back to a couple of times is this idea of being American Christians or Christian Americans. Put those, put those words in your mind right now. Picture that. We're either going to be American Christians or Christian Americans. Just let that settle in. In this culture, I would argue as Americans, we miss the payoff of a life well suffered because we try to avoid it so desperately that there's actually something dangerous about safety. We miss out on maturity. We miss out on completeness. We miss out on the full life and we become like these, 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 these ocean waves that are pushed back and forth by the wind. We miss out on gentleness. We miss out on being whole being single-minded in our focus. We miss out ultimately on knowing God, on really receiving the crown of life now and in eternity. So, so how is it that we're supposed to endure? How is it that we are supposed to persevere through these trials and these struggles, whether they're great or small, whether it's something that you know, happened in the past that we're still working through, or it's just that little you know, inconvenience that's going to happen tomorrow. How is it that we are supposed to persevere through these trials of various kinds and somehow equate it as joy? Well, I would argue that we need a godly perspective, that what James is talking about here is needing a godly perspective, a godly wisdom, as opposed to human wisdom or a human perspective. The human American Christian 
perspective is that, you know, wealth, power, ease, comfort are the best possibility for my life. That no suffering is the best possibility for my life. And I'm going to do everything I can to try to bring it into existence. That the payoff for life is found when I get away from suffering, when I avoid it at all costs. That, that if we just have more money, more power, more status, more leisure, more free time, more stuff, and less suffering, then I will have my best life. Then things will be good for me. Then I can count it as joy. But I think American Christians forget that Jesus calls his disciples to a life of dying to self. Does that sound like not suffering? He calls them to have this perspective that, that dying to self is good. But an American Christian, a, a, a human perspective is one of self-reliance and self-righteousness and self-protection instead of suffering. What James is arguing for and what I'm pleading with you to understand is, is a godly perspective, a divine wisdom from God. James is pointing out what Paul points out in Romans 5, what Peter points out in the beginning of his letter, that being mature and complete is the best life. That knowing God up close and personal and becoming like him is the best life. And that only comes through trials. That only comes through endurance, rather. It only comes through endurance. The only way you can experience these things is to go through trials and endure. And then you become mature. Then you become whole. Paul points this out. Peter points it out. James is pointing it out here. That to be mature and complete, we have to go through trials. And willingly endure them. For the joy that's on the other side. And the payoff for enduring suffering the payoff for enduring this, these trials of various kinds that we go through, whether small or large, is the full, blessed, mature, complete life in God. And through knowing God, we become more like Jesus. And that's the full life. That's the happy life. And I'm begging you to believe this with me. See, these people, these Christian Americans have this perspective of a God-reliance rather than a self-reliance. A righteousness that comes from God rather than my own self-righteousness, trying to produce my own safety, my own good, my own salvation. Friends, this is the gospel, right? Admitting that I, I shouldn't rely on myself. I shouldn't rely on my own self-protection or my own self-righteousness. I can only rely on something outside of me. This is the godly perspective. This, is the, this should be the Christian American perspective that we attain, that we long for. And so James is calling these people to have this perspective, to, to have this wisdom, to see that there is life beyond suffering and there's a goodness that can come through it. And there's these two, what I would say, two practical outworkings of this in James. He gets a little bit into it and we're not going to take a long time to talk about it. In verses uh, nine to 11, he talks about riches and the poor man and the rich man. Like what's he after there? It seems a little out of place, right? Well, I believe that what he's trying to help them see is that the comfort and best life is not found in riches. It's not found in comfort. That's sort of exaltation. He's saying it's actually found by the poor man who's exalted in his status in Jesus. 
that there's something beyond just monetary, temporary comfort and wealth. But the other thing, the other practical outworking, I think, of this is back up in verses five and eight. Like, how do we get this godly wisdom? How do we get this perspective that helps us see that suffering actually can lead to joy and full life? He says, ask for it. Actually go to God who gives good gifts and say, I need your wisdom. Again, do you see the not self-reliance, the not self-righteousness is saying, I'm going to look to God for this. God, help me see this the way that you see it. But James says, when you do this, when you ask for wisdom, when you ask for this divine perspective, he says, don't do it with doubting in mind. Be single-minded, not double-minded, right? And this concept runs all throughout James. He's talking about being pure, not corrupted. Have a singular focus on God and ask him for this wisdom. And so just as an example, right? I want to just talk about this briefly. What does he mean by this? If you, if you don't have, if you have doubt, God's not going to give you wisdom. Is that what he's saying? I think he's talking about devotion instead. I think he's talking about maintaining your eyes on Jesus rather than being pushed into all these other things. It's saying, I only can get this from you, Jesus. So I'm coming to you for it rather than looking for it in these other places. And I was thinking, it's sort of like, if, if you have children, um, you know that, you know, you love your kids and you want to give them wisdom. And you want to give them the best life, right? Like you want to care for them well. And my kid can ask for love and can ask for wisdom and I can give it. But if they don't trust me and they're looking elsewhere for it, are they really going to get it? Is it really a whole relationship in which I can actually pour this into them? Or when I try to do that, are they actually looking elsewhere, right? I think that's the concept that James is after here is he's saying, look, you can't ask God for this thing one day and the next day go and worship other things. That's not a pure relationship, right? He's saying like, that's not going to work out. That equation is not going to, to work out. James is saying, be single-minded towards God. Be singularly devoted to him. Just love him and look to him for love and for wisdom and he will give it to you. But if you're looking for all these other things, how can he possibly pour it all into you if one day you're worshiping him and the next day you're not? So I think this practical outworking is we're looking for wisdom by asking God for it and being, by being devoted to him in worship. But I believe also part of this connects back to verse three. In verse three, um, he, he calls it a testing, right? He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so this, this, this idea of testing, the word there is the idea that they would use, uh, the concept there is, is that they would heat up gold or metals to, to get out the impurities. That's the testing. That's, that, that's what that word means there. So they would heat these things up and the, the particles would float to the top and they would skim them off. So they would be left with this, this pure gold or this pure silver. And so what's happening here is James is saying, God is, is allowing these trials in your lives to purify you. To test you is the word that he uses. And, it's, and it's, it's getting these impurities out of our lives. These false things that are in there, these, this faith or self-reliance and other things, when we go through trials, it should force us to go to God and start to say, I don't want to be reliant on that anymore. I don't want my self-righteousness in this area anymore. And it starts to purify us. And it allows us to be more singularly minded, singularly focused on Jesus. 
And as we become more pure, we rely on him more. We look to him more. We say, give me more wisdom and he bestows it on us. And then we go through more trials and it purifies us. And we get rid of this self-reliance over here and this self-righteousness over here. And we look to Jesus and we say, give me wisdom. Give me your perspective. Help me see this from your view. And he says, sure, my child, I love you. It's all for you. And you see the cyclical thing that starts to happen there. So James is saying, you're going through these trials and it's going to purify you and get these impurities and this self-righteousness and self-reliance out of you, which then enables you to be more focused on God and gain his perspective and the joy that goes along with it. And so you are being purified. You and I are being purified when we endure these trials to become more mature, to be complete and to be singularly minded towards God and only worshiping him rather than self or all these other things that we try to comfort ourselves with. So we ask for wisdom, James says, right? We gain this perspective. We start to see things from God's lens, through his lens and understanding our trials better and understanding our world better. So he's saying, when this starts to happen, you start to count it as joy. Well, how do we do that though? Like, how do we actually suffer with joy? How do we go through cancer or the stubbing of a toe, the loss of a spouse, or just not getting a job that we wanted or a teacher that's bothering us? Like, how do we go through these things and actually find joy? What is God's perspective on suffering? Look at Hebrews 12 with me. Let's look, at, let's look at the gospel, right? This is just, just straight gospel truth here about Jesus. Uh, he said, the author of Hebrews says this, James, I mean, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, verse one. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Listen to this. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So if we're going to suffer well and we're going to suffer with joy, if we're going to find joy in it somehow, we need to look to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, who went before us and who suffered, right? But it says that he, uh, he uh, for the joy lay before him, he endured the cross. Why did he endure the cross? Because somehow he saw the joy in it. Well, what the heck does that mean? What joy does Jesus see in going to the cross when just earlier he had been praying that God would take it away from him? He knows it's real suffering, but he knows if he goes into it, there's joy in it and on the other side of it. What is that about? What can we learn from that? What can we learn from Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Jesus endures the cross because he knows that it brings redemption for us. Friends, this is the gospel. The gospel enters into suffering because it can see that redemption can happen. It believes that redemption can come out of this great pain somehow. And Jesus is the, the chief example of this. He knows that we can be redeemed through his suffering on the cross Jesus endures the cross because he knows that it gives glory to God somehow. And he finds joy in living that out despite the great suffering that he would go through. Jesus endures the cross because his hope is in the resurrection that is on the other side, that he would be vindicated by the father, that even though he would go through the deepest, darkest valley of death itself, that, that, that he would come out alive on the other 
side. And he still cried out with loud and, and, and wailing tears, but he pressed on with God for us. Friends, this is the gospel. This is a godly perspective about suffering. This is a gospel perspective on suffering that it can be entered into because redemption can happen because the power of resurrection that is at work in us after we die in a sense. Or look at Paul. Look at Paul, what he says in Colossians 1. Paul is another, another person that is no stranger to great suffering, beaten, shipwrecked, abandoned by people. He says this to the Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body. That is the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So go back to verse 24 for a second. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you because I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body. That is the church. Paul is saying, yes, Jesus suffered and he suffered for his body, the church. And I'm completing that. I get to take part in that suffering for his body as well in my body. I go about preaching the gospel and I'm suffering to make Jesus known for your sake. Do you see it? He sees the redemption that's possible. And he believes that he will receive the crown of life. Even though he dies, he will be resurrected someday. He's joining Jesus in this suffering by dying to self and making Christ known. His perspective says there's joy in this somehow and I will willingly enter into it for your sake and for Christ's glory. He endures suffering and he finds Jesus. Hey, I mean, what, what does he say? Whether I'm living or dying, what do I care? It's all Christ. That's the power of the resurrection, right? At work there, he knows that I can go into suffering because the, Jesus is with me in it and he's on the other side of it in the resurrection, in my resurrection. He's not worried at all. He's actually finding joy in joining Jesus in suffering because of the redemption that's possible, because of the resurrection that's on the other side of it. So what does that mean for you and me? What does that mean for us living in, you know, Northampton County, in Nazareth, in 2022? Like, what, what does that look like for us to suffer well? to be people of the gospel who go out and find joy somehow in suffering, still identifying things as bad, but enduring it and finding joy in it. Well, I would argue the godly perspective, the Christian American perspective that we can have living in our context is that we endure by entering into suffering whether it's large or small, whether it's short-lived or long, we enter into the suffering because of the joy that we have on the other side, which is the resurrection. Friends, Paul tells us that we endure suffering because it leads to character and character leads to hope and hope doesn't disappoint. Well, what's our hope that doesn't disappoint? It's the resurrection. We know that this is temporary. We know that this is not all that there is, that there's more than meets the eye, right? That the other side of, of my death, even the worst case scenario, the other side of my death is the resurrection. To live is Christ, to die is gain, Paul says. And so we can enter into all sorts of suffering knowing that what's the worst that could happen? I die? Resurrection? I know that's a, maybe a fatalistic way to look at it, but man, that's faith. This is what it means to have a godly perspective to know that in the end, this isn't that big a deal. It's terrible. 
It's tear inducing. I pray that Jesus would relieve us of some of these great trials we go through, but what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Resurrection, right? This is the Christian perspective that James is calling us to, that Paul's calling us to, that Jesus models for us. We can enter into suffering and we, we can endure it by entering into it with joy because God is with us and transforming us through it. To me, this is actually the harder one to believe in. Resurrection, to me at least, is like, okay, well, if I die, I die and someday I'm resurrected. But actually believing that God wants to work through great trials to transform me, that's the one that I reject regularly. And I try to go back to my self-reliance and avoid it and control pain away. But Jesus is saying, go through it. Let me walk with you in this and transform you through it. And that's actually the full blessed life. It's the redemption, right? It's the redemption that's possible in my life, maturing me, maturing you to be whole, to be complete, to be singularly minded, to be purified and have all those impurities of, of lack of faith taken out of us. That's the full life. We endure by entering the suffering with joy because God is going to bring redemption someday to our world and take all of these problems and things that we can't understand, the things that are frustrating and tear-inducing and someday he will weave it all together and we'll stand back and say, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing that God was able to pull all those things together and somehow bring good from it. And it's that kind of godly perspective. It's that faith. It's that wisdom that allows us to say, okay, I can go through this with joy because I believe that someday God will redeem it somehow. I'm being made more like him in the midst of this suffering. The worst thing that could happen is resurrection. Someday I'll understand why all of this didn't go exactly the way that I wanted it, but God's in control. We can endure by entering the suffering with joy because we know that becoming more like Christ is good. See, when we suffer, it should cause us to break our self-reliance and to throw ourselves onto Jesus. When we see suffering in the world and realize that we can't save ourselves and we can't save everything, it should break us of our self-righteousness and we should fall on Christ and say, we need you to save us. Friends, that's the core of the gospel, right? is believing that we can't provide everything and we can't save ourselves and we need you, Jesus. So we can suffer with joy knowing that somehow it's causing us to remember again and again and again, anew every day that we need Jesus, that we need God. We can't rely on ourselves or be self-righteous. And ultimately, this is what, like if there's anything, please hear this. This is what I'm begging, I'm begging you to believe, maybe a little bit more, is that, Seeing suffering as an avenue to die to self is actually a good thing. We can endure well with joy when we see suffering as an avenue to die to self and to find life in God, to find resurrection power in this life and in the life to come. Friends, our Lord has called us to die to self. And we as American Christians reject that regularly and say, I don't want that. I'm going to do everything I can to protect myself. I don't want that. I don't want to die to self. I want to keep myself alive. I'm going to rely on myself. And Jesus says, would you die to self and find resurrection power? Please. I modeled this for you. I've given this to you. Find it. I heard a quote the other day. I, I, if I can find where I, what, where I heard it, I will get it back to you because I don't want to be you know, guilty of plagiarism. But the quote said something to this effect. When we reject dying to self, 
when we reject suffering and we do everything we can to avoid it, we end up mangled through partial crucifixion rather than fully dying to self and having resurrection life. When we reject suffering, when we reject trials and say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to avoid that at all costs. And we don't want to die to self. We end up mangled people, mangled Christians through partial crucifixion rather than fully dying to self and finding what's on the other side, which is resurrection life, resurrection power. And so I'm pleading with you to believe me that dying to self through suffering actually leads to resurrection life. And it's the full life now and in eternity. So I want to ask a couple questions as I close. Are you dying to self and finding the eternal comfort of Jesus with you? Or are you doing everything you can to self-protect and say, nope, nope, I've got it. I can keep myself safe. I can keep myself healthy. I'm, 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 not, I'm going to avoid all of that. Are you avoiding the cross and the suffering and, and chasing your own temporary comforts, as it were? What wisdom are you living with? Is it godly wisdom? Are you an American Christian or a Christian American? Let that sink in this week. Process that. Are you living with godly wisdom or human wisdom? Are you finding your comfort and joy in avoiding suffering? Or are you finding in God walking with you in suffering, looking with anticipation towards redemption, towards resurrection, towards maturity? Friends, there is no avoiding suffering in this life, right? I mean, let's just be honest about that. There's no avoiding suffering in this life because of the presence of sin. And think about this. If God were to eradicate sin, wouldn't that mean you and I were gone? If we were to truly do away with it and get rid of suffering and pain altogether, you and I would be out of the picture because we're the ones that cause it. There's actually somehow mercy and grace in suffering. It's a bizarre concept. Maybe it's a philosophical concept, but think about that. Think about the fact that God is not sending trials. <laughs> He's not sending trials and suffering because he wants to prove your doubt. God is not sending these things into your life because he's trying to prove that you're a doubter because he's mad at you. But God can work through the trials that come about through sin, self-inflicted, others-inflicted, nature-inflicted. God can work through them to purify your faith, to make you whole, to make you mature in him. And that, my friends, is what James calls completeness, perfection, maturity, even the crown of life, to be unwavering. That's joy. That is true joy. We can endure by willingly dying to self because it is joyful to be with God in the midst of suffering, to know more of him and to become like Jesus. Please believe me about this. We can count it all joy when we encounter trials of and many kinds because of our perspective. We can ask God to give us that perspective. If we stay fully devoted to him in worship, he will give it to us. We can count it all joy when we encounter trials, when we see that the payoff for endurance, the payoff for the perseverance, like that Olympic athlete who trains for the marathon, who gives up everything to find it, to find that payoff. We can find that payoff for endurance is God with me in a sweet way in the midst of my suffering, which if you've, if you've suffered with God, you know what I'm talking about. You know the sweetness that can only be found in suffering with him standing by your side.
We can find and see that the payoff for endurance is becoming like Christ and discovering what full life actually is in being mature and whole in Jesus. And we can count it joy when we suffer because we see that the payoff for our endurance is the redemption of the gospel in our lives and in others. See that the payoff is resurrection life now and certainly in new creation. When we enter into the cruciform life, we find joy. We find the crown of life. So friends, I would love to talk more with you about this in person. I want to, I want to pray. And so if you can somehow grab quiet at home right now, hopefully you can, uh, if you can't, maybe you can do it later this week. But I want to pray that Jesus would meet you in your suffering, that you would identify some suffering in your life and you would ask him to come and visit you there in that. Something that's helpful for me to picture is when I suffer, I actually, I actually picture myself climbing up onto my cross and seeing Jesus on his cross right next to me saying, I know. I know I'm here with you. The resurrection's coming. (laughs) So I'm going to pray. I'm asking you to pray that, that Jesus would climb up on that cross with you and you'd climb up there with him and you'd say, okay, I'm willing to die to self. I'm willing to find joy in the midst of this because I know that resurrection's coming. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, uh, though we are separated by miles and miles right now, I ask that you would do a miraculous work and visit us in our homes, in our cars, via an iPad, a television, whatever. Would you bring to mind areas where we are suffering and where we are relying on ourselves, where we're trusting our own righteousness, our own salvation, our own supply? Would you just tell us that you're with us in it? And Jesus, maybe if it's helpful for people, would you give people a vivid picture of yourself on the cross next to them? Would you just tell them that resurrection's coming, that you know what it means to suffer and you, you're doing it for our good, for your glory? And Spirit, I pray that you would help us be Christian Americans. People have your perspective. See that we don't, need to escape suffering, but we can actually undergo it with joy because we know that it, it brings us closer to you. It helps us understand the gospel more and helps us be more like Jesus and that's actually full life. Help us believe that. Spirit, we need you. We need you to believe this. We need you to open our eyes to see where we trust ourselves, where we're avoiding suffering. Show us that this week. Show us that in our lives. We're so grateful. So grateful. 
that the end result of all of this is the resurrection. That the, that the, the resurrection life and power is now, but most certainly in eternity. That this suffering will not go on forever, but we can find joy in it now because of our hope in you. Thank you for walking with us. In Jesus' name, amen.